I'm Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Bar Review, speaking with a colleague, Michelle Smith, who I, I have not seen in person for a very a long while. time. <laughs> a while, yes. Uh, yes. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Same. I'm doing well. Good. We're going to talk some women's college basketball. So for Always some folks, a good topic. It, agreed. A topic. Yep. So some folks be like, Chris, why are you doing this? Because I love women's college basketball, and that's why I'm doing this, and because I can. So let's get right into it. Any initial thoughts on the season so far? I know it's roughly a week old, but what are your thoughts so far? Yeah, obviously it's super early, but I think that, you know, I think that as, maybe as usual, but, you know, there's a few teams that look like they are already positioned to be um, the teams that we're still talking about in late March and early April. And, you know, you've got Connecticut, South Carolina. Connecticut had a great win today. You know, South Carolina had a big opening win over NC State. Stanford, as we speak, is doing battle with Texas. you got Maryland. But really, I mean, I think it starts like a lot of other seasons start with a handful of teams that people really think have a chance to run all the way through the season. And then, as we learned last year, you've got a team, you know, who's going to be that team like Arizona that nobody really talks about in November that's going to still be on our radar in March and April, and that's what's going to make it fun. Off the top of your head, how many teams would you say have a – legit chance to get to Minneapolis final four Uh, to the final four. I think probably eight or 10 teams, but I think for the championship, I still think it's a very small pool. I still think we're probably talking four, maybe five teams that I could see hoisting that trophy at this point. I mean, it's Connecticut, South Carolina, Stanford, all super experienced, going to play really tough schedules. Um, Maryland is going to be a high scoring team. They always seem to somehow, I want to say disappoint, but underachieve in the NCAA tournament, and they really need to get over that hump at this at this point. You've got NC State who's super talented. Um, you know, it's just it'll be really really interesting. But I think that we're still we, there's still some cream at the top of that crop. Agreed. What are your thoughts on this? Is really what I want to talk with you about is March Madness finally being used for yeah. the women's tournament. But just the whole gender equity issues. What are your thoughts about that? And then, of course, the ultimate question, the proposal of the combined Final Fours. I'm going to start by saying I'm really proud that this conversation started with Pac-12. It was the Stanford trainer who posted pictures, Sedona Prince at Oregon. I mean, this conversation started with the Pac-12 teams and their willingness to shine a light on what they saw and what they thought about it. And so this conversation starts in the Pac-12, and that makes me really proud as somebody who um, is a Pac-12 person in this part of the world. I think that they've been productive, long overdue conversations. I think the thing is that it's not really a surprise to anyone who's participated in the tournament, who's covered the tournament, but you didn't really get to see it quite side by side almost the way that you got to see it last year. Um, Women's tournament operates in its own sort of space and men's tournament operates and you know the differences because you can see them on your television you can see them all over you can see them in how the game's promoted you can see them everywhere but I think that somebody putting up a mirror to that especially when they had to share some space and say this is what they got and this is what we got are you kidding me like that was um that was a moment that's a tipping point right so I mean I think these are great conversations to have I'm thrilled to see March Madness being used for the women um I would love to see the um, I would love to see them gender the men's tournament the way they've gendered the women's tournament. I have for a long time wanted to not assume that the default NCAA tournament without the gender reference is the men's tournament. So mm-hmm. let's call it the NCAA men's tournament and the NCAA women's tournament. 
that may not seem like a substantial change to a lot of people, but it feels like an acknowledgement of the women and pulling them up into an equal footing with the men rather than it being, well, clearly the NCAA tournament is the men's tournament. And then we'll, you know, put the gender qualifier on the women's tournament. Never love that. So I would love to see that happen in addition to the March Madness, you know, and then we can talk more about what the tournament looks like. Um, I know we want to talk about, you know, the common, the possibility of, you know, pulling the tournaments into the same location and things like that. I think there's a lot to talk about there. What do you, have you heard, because so far, I have not spoken to a coach who is in favor of the combined Final Four proposal. Have you? No, and I'm not excited about it either. I think that the fear is that the women's are going to be viewed as the JV tournament and that, you know, I don't love it. I think it could be, it could be different if they put them on separate schedules and say, you know, the women's tournament ran through a specific date and the final four was at that location. And then the men's tournament moved in the following week. Um, it could be that that works out. And then they've got all the infrastructure set up and all of the perks and the good stuff set up for the women. And they're already going to be set up for the men. That might work. I might be more inclined to embrace it under that scenario, but running them concurrently, I really don't like that idea. The other thing that I don't, love about that idea. And this is again, going to be a very West coast perspective, but it has taken forever for the West coast to get back into rotation for the women's final four. We're going to have Phoenix. I think it's in 25, but that'll be the first time that they've been West of Denver. And since 1999, like that's crazy. Right. And I want to see Portland bid and I want to see San Francisco bid at Chase Center. And I want to see those West Coast cities bid for the final four and have them bring it back. And I fear that if they do this large scale format, that we're not going to see as much of that. And I think for the women's tournament to be able to um, be a little bit more national than it has been with, you know, I mean, I've covered final fours over the last 15 years and we've been to Tampa two or three times and Indianapolis two or three times. And there's nothing wrong with those cities, but I want to see this thing move around because we know the power base basketballs moved West. We know PAC 12 has shown up big time. Let's get some tournaments. Let's get some NCAA final fours and move them around. And I'm afraid this would get in the way of that. So based on what you just said, I'm going to ask you, I think I know your answer, Yeah. but Gino Oriyama, one of his ideas was to kind of have the Final Four, the Women's Final Four, in one city, like for softball and other championships. Would you be in favor of that? No. Nah. Nope. Thanks for sharing, Gino. Like, you know, if that one city, what you know, what's that one city going to be? I mean, I don't know that Gino's going to tell you that he thinks it should be in Hartford. I mean, it's not that, you know, he's not going to be that, it's not that plain of a, you know, an idea, but I don't know that I like it. I mean, I know that it helps with planning. I know Final Four is difficult for fan bases. I'm going to acknowledge that. But if you know you have a good team and you think they have a shot to go to the Final Four and you buy tickets to go, you know, you buy tickets in advance to go to Minneapolis, say for this year. So say you're a Stanford fan and you're like, I like my team's chances to go to the Final Four and I'm going to buy my tickets for Minneapolis. Are you not going to go if Stanford doesn't go or are you going to go and embrace the game in a different way and embrace different teams in a different way or embrace a Pac-12 team that's there if it's not Stanford, if it's Oregon or UCLA. I mean, you know, no, I don't want to leave it in one place. I don't like it. I think his idea was that, uh, Tampa be the one city for every year. I could make a lot of friends in Tampa by going, no, like it's fine. But, you know, we've been to Tampa and, but, you know, Florida doesn't, no, we'll move it around. 
Okay, fair enough. Have you seen a change in a, a mindset of women's basketball fans? Because for a while, I, I'm not going to age you, but mm-hmm. I've covered age women's me. game a while, yeah, going on 20 plus years or so. And initially, it was fans of just my team. Right. That's only who they wanted to support. Have you seen a change to now being fans of the women's game? I don't know if it's about the support. It, I mean, I think that, you know, I think fans want to support teams that are around them. If it's not their team, I think fans want to see players. People wanted to see Sabrina Unescu. People wanted to want to see Caitlin Clark in Iowa. People want to see players, the best players. They want to see them play. They want to see them play in person. Um, you know, I think that's why, you know, some of those big games draw really well. Like, I don't know if it's about support universally, but I think it's about wanting to see those great players. I want to see Paige Becker play Becker's play in person, right? Like, you know, people want to see the best players on the big stages. So I think it's not necessarily about support, but I do think that there's, depending on the camaraderie, I think in your league, I mean, I think, I think any number of fan bases, the Oregon fan base, I think would support Stanford if, Oregon's out and Stanford's in or UCLA or whatever. I think there's a regionalization that happens, but I also think there's a desire to see the best players play on that stage. Back to geography. How about Vegas? Would you like to Debbie Antonelli's suggestion? She's, you know, hammered on for a while. Eight idea in Vegas. I don't have a problem with that. I just don't, I want to see the final four move around. I want to see the game's biggest stage move. And the final four is the biggest stage there is. And I want to see different communities get to embrace that event and get to see what kind of, you know, what kind of benefit there is to their communities to bring women's sports fans into their communities and the way that they spend money and the way that they support businesses and things like I want lots of places to experience that. If you want to run a Elite Eight and a Sweet 16 tournament in Vegas and add to the interest and add to the ability to buy people to buy tickets and things like I'm for that, but I want to see the final four move around. And I'm, I'm biased because I've tried, I've been on two or three committees, try to get the final four women's final four here to Houston Mm -hmm. and without success. So I I still hold that hope before I die Mm -hmm. that Houston hosts a women's final four. How would you, you got a magic wand, Michelle Smith. I'm going to let you wield it. How would you, improve enhance the women's game Mm, how would i improve enhance women's game i would i would make their geographic i would if i was the ncaa i would not wait for people merely to bid because they're interested or they have a little momentum i would move that tournament into regions of the country every like divide the country up into four regions and move it around every year so you've got an east coast you've got a midwest you've got uh you know kind of a mountain or a different and then you go you know or texas in that part and then you got a west coast and i would rotate them i would want to move my game around so that the biggest stage gets to be as in as in as many places as possible um i would like to see more um more about more players i think that we get very narrowly focused by the time we get to march on the players who have the big names players I mean, as we learn, once those players move into the WNBA, that, you know, it's did Michaela Onion Ware, who ended up being the rookie of the year in the WNBA this year, did we spend a lot of time on her during last year's NCAA tournament? We didn't. I mean, you know, when UCLA played, she was their feature player, but it wasn't the Paige Becker's treatment and it wasn't the Leah Boston treatment and whatever. Like we, we zero in because we want people to have name recognition. I want more people to have name recognition and I want to see greater synergy between the college game and the WNBA. And I yes. know that's hard, but I want to see there be more connections 
and more lines being drawn between these players you're watching right now and the league they're about to play in. And I want it for everybody because I'm still not convinced that we have enough of our women's collegiate players who are watching the WNBA or are following WNBA players. And there may be more now, but I want more, I want more lines drawn between those star players that you see and that you admire in the college game and where they're going to end up in the WNBA. Agreed. Because for a while there, this is about 10, 15 years ago, a lot of the young ladies who I covered high school, college, their favorite players were still NBA players. Right. You know, they hardly watched the WNBA. I think that's still true to a lot and to a large extent. I think it's getting, I think it's if that situation's improving, but I think that's still true to a large extent. How has the coverage of women's basketball changed in your time doing doing your this part of your job? Mm, I mean, gosh, in 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 so, so many ways. And the pendulum has swung in so many directions, right? So I, you know, I covered it for a newspaper as a beat in the, you know, in the early, through the, through most of the 2000s. I traveled with Stanford for the San Francisco Chronicle. I would go on the road with Cal. I went all the way with them and I was part of a newspaper. It was a newspaper beat, like the baseball teams are a beat and whatever, right? And then you know, the bloodletting started at the newspapers and then people started leaving. And then you run into this situation where you have more and more people. Um, you know, I would think of somebody like my friend of my colleague, Sue Favor, who covers basketball down in Los Angeles, and she's a teacher full time. Mm-hmm. I have a full time job now outside of sports writing. Right. I work in ed- public education and I do this. The I do the gigs that I do on, you know, on my time because I love it. And there's lots of that going around. I think there's still lots of young people. I'm excited about the number of young people, particularly on social media, that want to be on a platform like The Next, which is Howard Mendel's platform right. or whatever. But we know that, you know, and Howard will admit that, that these jobs aren't paying a lot. People are doing it for so far too much women's basketball media right now is still for the love of the game and for the love of wanting to cover the league and not people making a living doing it. Number of people who are making a living covering women's basketball is still obscenely small. Yes. And, you know, and so that, you know, but that wasn't, but it was actually better 15 years ago in that respect that you had beat writers at the newspapers and you had the college towns covering it. You don't have that anymore. So now you've gone from more of a width and breadth of coverage. And I am thoroughly supportive of all of the young women of color who are starting to, you know, be announcers and, and social media presences around women's basketball and all of the young folks that are sort of into it. But the reality is that none of these folks are really making a living doing that. They're making a living doing something else and they're covering it or they're, you know, it's just, it's a shift. And I don't know how to fix that because I would love to see women's basketball go back to being, you know, even in the old parlance, a beat or something that people can say, you know, I want to be a women's basketball writer and have that pay your bills. Right. And I just think it do- that doesn't happen like that anymore. Agreed. And folks who, who will watch this will probably be surprised when I say it. I would, if I could, I would cover women's college basketball if mm-hmm. it would pay my bills. Mm-hmm. But the Rockets and the men's college stuff here in town is where mm-hmm. I, right. more revenue comes in for me. Mm-hmm. But the reason I'm talking to you and because I talk to other colleagues in women's college basketball is because I still have passion for it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm still going to, and I'll continue doing it as long as I can. Mm-hmm. One last thing. Are you still doing freelance work for the NCA.com? So I'm not doing 
NCAA.com. I'm doing, um, I have a yearly contract with Pac-12. So I do okay. all your women's basketball stuff for Pac-12.com during the season. And then I work for WNBA.com. Okay. Um, and then I had, I contributed to the slam, the W slam mm-hmm. um, issue that came out and I'm hoping to do some more of that, but yeah, I'm working for the PAC 12 and for the WNBA at this point so that I can stay involved and um, keep my hand in it because yeah, because I want to like you, I have a passion for it and I don't want to be out of that loop. And so, you know, when the media business is hard and I made a decision for my career that I was going to enter something more stable um, and I did that, but I still want to do it. And so I figure out my ways to contribute. Fantastic. Michelle Smith. Thank you very much. It's good talking to you. Thank you. Ho- hopefully I think um, if there is a PAC 12 team to the final four, I will see you in Minneapolis. Yep, I, you will. I'll be excited about that. Thank you. I'll talk Thank to you, you soon. Michelle. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.